From the Subaru of Gwinnett Studio in the Senesta Gwinnett Place Atlanta Hotel, it's time for Senior Salute Radio. Senior Salute Radio is presented by the Estate and Asset Protection Law Firm of Victoria Collier. Well, hello. I am your host, Victoria Collier. Senior Salute Radio brings timely information to leading age boomers and seniors addressing the issues of aging, caregiving, and maintaining quality of life. And today I'm very excited because I have a law clerk of mine who works at the law firm, George Ligon, joining us today to talk about digital asset administration. And we need a millennial to talk about digital asset administration. Welcome, George. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. So I appreciate you taking time out from studying for the bar. Um, you just graduated from University of Georgia Law School. That's right, right, I did. And so is your mind at a place where you can actually talk intelligently about anything? I will certainly do my best. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, this is not a topic that people talk about much, but yet it affects every single one of our lives, doesn't it? Almost everything is digital now, and the law has not caught up to what that means. Okay. Well, tell us even what digital means when we're using that term. Well, the problem is that no one knows what digital means in the legal terminology of what is a digital asset or an electronic asset. And so there's been a few attempts at defining this. Um, some of the dividing lines are, is it a communication or is it more like an actual tangible asset? You know, this is like money in a PayPal account versus just your email account. Um, but when it comes to digital assets, there are so many different types of them and they're so fluid. You know, you go from airline miles is kind of the perfect example is that what is an airline mile? And so you say you apply for a credit card and let's just make an absurd number. You get a million airline miles when you apply. And once you've gotten those miles, what does that mean? Well, the IRS would say that those miles do not count as income, but if you redeem those miles for a ticket, then that's income. So now it's gone from a kind of a not an asset to an asset. So just a second. So I have um, Delta, I only fly Delta. And so I accumulate my Delta miles. And to me, what it means to me in a real world sense is if I accumulate enough, I get to take a free flight at some point. I can also donate those points to somebody else so they can take a free flight. Um, but what I'm hearing you say first and foremost is that's a digital asset is those points that's right and secondarily it's not an asset from a tax perspective while it's just sitting there right but if i use it for a ticket and i get a free ticket that's considered income yes how come i've never gotten a 1099 or anything from delta <laughs> probably because you're still doing a de minimis amount of redemptions each year okay and um for not just this, but for anything with the IRS, if it's under a few hundred dollars worth a year, like then they're $600 just, $600, they're year. not going to care. Okay. But if I did do more than that, I should be expecting to pay some income tax on that. Or you should be expecting a nice letter from the government saying you owe us more money. That's interesting. <laughs> but what about, for example, let's stay with this as an example first, and let's take it through some areas. And that is, we've already talked about that I can accumulate them, I can use them, I can give them to others. What happens if I die? What happens to those digital assets called airline miles? So the first thing that people would look at um, as an executor or that um, anyone would look at is you go to the terms of service, the terms of service agreement of Delta in this case. And So like when I signed up for this card, I signed some sort of contract that says, well, you know, it, 
it probably wouldn't be in the card contract. It would be in your Delta membership contract, but somewhere in that buried deep within there is going to say what happens when someone dies. And most places, whether it's airlines or credit cards or, you know, whatever, they're going to say these things expire and they're not transferable. Um, that said, some of them are transferable upon death and some of them can be transferred upon death if they don't know that the person has died and depending on which legal treatise you look at some people would say that's fine and some people would say that's illegal and so would you say probably 100 out of 100 people have no idea if there's is transferable upon death or I, what yes. happens <laughs> probably only the lawyers for the airlines um or the hotels or whatever we're talking about have any idea about what happens to these when someone dies and yet they can be quite valuable you know oh, i mean yeah. you're talking about real dollars that can be spent if you have access to the points themselves right so let's talk about that piece for a second, is access. Um, certainly when someone dies, let's just assume that either the contract says what they can do with it or uh, through probate, through the will, um, an executor is appointed and they have access. But what about when somebody's alive and they become disabled? Um, how does someone else have access to, number one, find out if they have any points uh, or digital assets? And we're going to go beyond just the Delta miles here for a second, but just as our example, have, you know, do they have any? Does it have value? Can they transfer them when someone's alive but disabled and they themselves likely won't be using them anymore? Well, as I think you would tell any client that walks in our door, the first thing you do is have a financial power of attorney and you need to have a good one. And um, under the current law, and I think most people have gone to this, is that any good financial power of attorney is going to have some provision in there talking about digital assets. And it's going to be a very vague definition for the exact reason we're talking about. No one really knows what this means. And last year, Georgia actually changed their power of attorney law, which included updating their statutory form for a power of attorney. Do you know if that actually has language in the power of attorney that deals with digital assets? It does because that was done in conjunction with Georgia passing what is known as the Revised Uniform Fiduciary Access to Digital Assets Act. And that is a mouthful. <laughs> um, but Georgia passed this in 2017, late 2017, and was actually a little late. There were about 40 other states that did it before Georgia. But this addresses fiduciary access to digital accounts and digital assets, and it divides it between uh, kind of the, the agent while the person is alive but disabled, and then also the executor side once they're dead. And so if somebody is using the statutory form from Georgia, it addresses the basic overall general needs. Um, but if somebody has a lot of value within their digital assets, and now let's, let's broaden that list for a second. Um, but before we broaden the list, if someone has a substantial amount of digital assets, um, you know, what we do in our firm is we actually become very specific with those assets and having an asset list with passwords and all of that. Can you talk about the importance of why that is important uh, is recommended versus just relying on the statutory general form. So under the the revised act, the mouthful mm -hmm. that I just said, um, the first place you look is to see if the person has already within the account made some designation. And in general, this is a designation for what happens after death, but they could in theory make a designation for what happens during disability or to name a fiduciary as a secondary access point. 
if that's not done, and most people don't do that because most services don't offer that option, then the next step is that an agent, a duly authorized agent, could then request access. Of course, to request access, you have to know that this account exists, and that's a whole other problem because without maintaining a list like we do in our statutory form where we say, here's all my accounts where we have something that matters, an agent would never know to look. So having that list and specifically referring to them in the power of attorney actually makes that power of attorney more likely to be accepted by these agencies where people own and hold digital assets. Absolutely, okay. because if it's not specifically mentioned, then they're going to have an argument that their terms of service agreement, which is the default rule, is going to take over. And at that point in time, they may not give access. And as lawyers say, we never want to rely on a default rule when we can create our own rules, right? Absolutely. Well, you are listening to Senior Salute Radio, presented by the Estate and Asset Protection Law Firm of Victoria Collier. And we are speaking with George Ligon, who is... Um, I would say a subject expert on the digital asset administration. Now, when people talk about digital assets, sometimes, you know, the first word that comes to our mind now is like Bitcoin and things like that. But we're not talking about that specifically. Let's get into a list of what kinds of things does the everyday person, whether you're a millennial or whether you're a Gen Xer or even a baby boomer. And I know that in our firm, we see a lot of people who are in their 80s and 90s, um, you know, the greatest generation still, who have these assets. So let's go through a a list of these assets. Give some examples. So while there are certainly a lot of baby boomers or people older than that who have effectively no digital assets, they've just never adopted technology, most people would not realize how many assets their grandmother has. Their grandmother has an email account. So an email account. An email account. Like Gmail or actually more likely AOL. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, And then on top of that, they may have a Facebook account. Um, And then... Facebook is, I mean... Isn't it really the baby boomers who are the people on Facebook now? Because haven't the younger generations gone more over to, I don't know, Snapchat? So my younger sister tells me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and you know why? Is because um, the younger generation likes the privacy. And so Snapchat, for example, deletes everything after a few minutes of chatting. Whereas Facebook, it's all out there for everyone to see, which is why the grandmothers love it, because they can see what their grandkids are doing. That's very true. <laughs> so so give some other examples. Um, so email accounts, social media accounts. Also, many uh, older people, even if they never really thought about it, if they started a business or they owned a business, when the digital age kind of started to happen, they may own a website domain for a mm-hmm. company that they once ran, and that website domain may still be in their name and um, every couple of years you'll see a story about some company paying tens of millions of dollars to buy a website domain from some no-name person in the middle of nowhere just happened to register this domain years ago Mm -hmm. Um, and so there are a lot of very valuable assets that older generations have in addition of course um, airline miles or hotel points or something like that that they wouldn't think to consider as a digital asset so kind of like um, before in the industrial age when people collected antiques or just things that became antique Um, you know you don't know how much it's worth of what's in somebody's attic or garage until you take it and get it assessed what you're saying is that they could have accumulated these assets and nobody even knows what it's worth um, but it could be worth tens of thousands of dollars or more if it's like a website domain that's right okay and so because we've mentioned Facebook and it's one of the largest platforms out there, do you know if 
Facebook actually has its own direction on how to access these accounts on behalf of other people um, or if you have to take that measure into your own hands. Um, I know that there's been some some issues with, for example, kids in college who either go missing or something and their parents want to try to find out where they are and they try to do that through their Facebook page and just don't have access. So Facebook, I would say that Facebook has a lot of issues right now with privacy problems, things like that, but this is one area where they really deserve um, some acclaim. They were one of the first to really respond to this issue of what, do you, what happens when someone else is trying to get access. And what brought it about a couple of years ago was there were a couple of high profile cases where Facebook every year will do these kind of year in review um, photo collages. And they, it was like the first or second year that they did this and um, a couple of parents had lost their children in tragic accidents at college or in high school and they'd wanted to then go get these photos when they saw these photos existed in their year in review but they didn't have any access to download them and they didn't have any access to get them because the children's privacy page permissions were such that the parents had no access and so what facebook came up with for someone who's died is that during life you can go into facebook and you can name a legacy contact and that legacy contact will basically have full control over your account um, upon your death. They can open up your page, people can post memorial posts, or they can remove posts if something is inappropriate and posted there, and they can give access and retract access. And uh, that's kind of the standard that Facebook has come up with. And then if someone has not taken advantage of that feature, then you go back to the default revised act law of has Facebook been named in their will. Okay, and that leads me to that next question, and that is because we're talking about these as assets, should people be specifically devising these assets to a particular person to not just have access and control, but to actually own these assets when they die? In general, I would say yes, but you still have to run up with that terms of service problem of can someone else even own this, or is it more of just kind of a held in trust kind of idea? Something that some people are doing is naming a digital executor separate from the normal executor of the estate, which I think makes sense if you're dealing with someone where you're naming, you're naming your spouse and your spouse doesn't have much in the way of technical savvy to name a grandchild perhaps as your digital executor. Um, but in terms of owning these assets, you really have to go back to, like with the Delta Airline Miles, can you even transfer these upon death? You are listening to Senior Salute Radio, presented by the Estate and Asset Protection Law Firm, and we are listening to George Ligon discuss with us the challenges with digital asset administration when people become disabled or when they pass away. One of the challenges is not even knowing what a digital asset is, um, and we've been talking about emails, we've been talking about social media sites as our digital assets, um, but what about the digital assets that we have been hearing about lately, the Bitcoin and the alternative coins, the alternative to money? Um, what's really the consequence if someone does not have knowledge or access to that kind of asset? Well, with Bitcoin specifically, and you're much more of an expert on Bitcoin than I am, but with Bitcoin, there's a public key and a private key. And the public key is basically your address. And that's how you, tr you, you know, I know that I'm sending something to you. But for you to then access what I send, you have to have your private key to access it. It's like withdrawing so, from a bank. So kind of like I have an address with a house and that's where you send it to my house. But I, nobody can get in the house unless they have a key. Right. Okay. Um, but with with Bitcoin, if you don't have that private key, you will never, ever get access to that, that currency. And it's, it's effectively lost forever. 
And so if I invested in Bitcoin when it was, um, let's just say $2,000, and now today it's right around $8,000. So that's quite an increase, depending on how much I purchased, I might have several hundred thousands of dollars. And so what you're saying is, if I don't give that private key to somebody or tell them where to find it when I die, that several, several hundred thousand dollars is just gone. It's, it's not gone from the, the blockchain. Bit, the Bitcoin still exists, but mm-hmm. no one's ever going to be able to touch it. So it's kind of like um, that money that goes into the state registry for unclaimed heirs, except that there's just never going to be an unclaimed heir because they don't have the key. Right. Okay. Um, so can you give us some tips, George, as far as what people should do to protect their digital assets and so that they can give authority to uh, others to access them when necessary? Right. Well, two of the things we've already mentioned, one is to make sure you've got updated power of attorney and updated will that specifically addresses the problem of digital assets and digital account administration. And along that line, um, before we go too further, what about if people have trust? Would that also be um, advisable? Because if we don't, then obviously we're talking about probate. It's a probate asset. Um, And on most of these accounts, these assets, you can't name a transfer on death. You don't have joint owners on an email, right? So would a trust for those who want to avoid probate um, be recommended, for example, for this language to be in a trust instead of a will? It should still work in a trust, even though the revised act in Georgia does make that differentiation between an executor and basically every other type of fiduciary. A trustee is in that uh, every other type of fiduciary category, and so there's no reason it shouldn't still work after death. Okay. So what are some other tips? So uh, in addition to making sure you have updated documents that actually address this issue, you also, you also should keep an updated list of your accounts. Um, and I'm kind of a perfect example of this. I probably have an account with every major hotel chain, but I've only really got points with two or three hotel chains. So I probably don't need to list Best Western where I've stayed one time, but I should list Marriott and Hilton where I've stayed a lot of times because I actually have valuable points in there. But then in addition to saying, hey, I've got this account, I also need to say, here's my username, and if possible, here's my password. But then the password is a whole other problem. Passwords have to be updated every 60, 90 days, every year, depending on how that company handles their own um, internal privacy. And if you know, I write down my password today, but I don't r- change it where I've written it down, where when I've changed it in reality, then that old password is now useless. And so one of the things that people will often recommend is to use these password account managers where you have this plug-in and it'll keep track of everything for you. Um, and doing that is a good way to manage this. There is still some legal question about if that is actually a violation upon death of some of these terms of service agreements and these federal laws, but there, it's never been prosecuted and it's never been brought up. So it's an imperfect solution, but it seems to be the best solution at the moment. Okay. And so to you know compare this to what I know our listeners and our clients regularly do, and that is they keep a list of all their medications. Uh, And I know this because when they're in our office and we're asking them about their health and um, their needs as we plan for long-term care, um, I do ask, you know, are you taking any medications for anything? And I would say, you know, seven out of 10 actually pull out a list from their wallet or their purse. And so what I'm hearing is we should be just as detailed with our digital assets than we are with our healthcare prescription list. I actually think we need to be even more detailed because 
with the healthcare prescription list, you still have a lot of very well-developed default law that will help doctors kind of know how to figure this out or help a loved one know how to figure this out if you don't know exactly what's going on. But in the digital world, if you only know one of the five email accounts or you, you know, something like that, there's just no other way to ever find out. Excellent. Well, thank you, George. Um, you are listening to Senior Salute Radio, presented by the estate and asset protection law firm of Victoria L. Collier. And before we sign off, is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners? I would just say that if you've not looked at your documents in a long time, of course, everyone should look at their documents every couple of years or if there's been a major life change. But we live in a digital age, and if your documents do not address digital assets, you are doing a disservice to your family to not update those documents and make sure that's addressed. And I would go one step further, and I'd say, you know, um, in the legal profession, that there's many, many lawyers that are not keeping up with the digital age either, and they're still using the same standard forms they were using 20 years ago. Um, And the reason I know that is because I see them almost daily with clients who come in to update their documents. And even if they just did new documents a year ago, I'm still seeing just stale, outdated forms based on the age that we live in today. So um, I would say that if you've done your estate plan in the recent past and it hasn't addressed these issues, then use uh, more cutting-edge lawyers that are abreast of the situation. Absolutely. Great. Well, our website at the Estate and Asset Protection Law Firm is www.elderlawgeorgia.com. That's elderlawgeorgia.com. And you can reach us by calling 470-235-7848. That's 470-235-7848. You have been listening to Senior Salute, which is a bi-monthly show bringing timely information for leading-age boomers and is available 24-7 online by visiting businessradiox.com. And I want to thank our listeners. We salute you.